Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction. Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic. We provide care to adults 18-plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee. And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute. I came to Pride in 2013, actually. Um, I was 18. I had just left college um, because I was abusing Adderall. And then I was um, just, I I had abused Adderall in high school to get better grades um, and lose weight. And then like by the time I finally made it to college, which was the end goal, it was already crashing. So I went home. I'm originally from New York. I tried to get better in my parents' house, but it didn't work out. And so I had a therapist who actually recommended that I go to Pride. And I didn't even, it didn't even connect the dots in my mind that he was gay at that time, but he was gay. So yeah, I went to Pride, Minnesota. Um, And I had no connection to the state other than I had, I had been to the Concordia language village camps if you know them. And so I was like, Oh, like I'm randomly going to be in Minnesota. Like I-, I had no idea that like later I would end up just like living in this state in the middle of the country, but now I love it here. So yeah, 2013. And what was that like leaving New York? That was um, crazy. I-, I always say that that was the, that wasn't the um, most addicted to drugs I've ever been, but that was the worst time in my life. Um, because I was so alone there, self-harm, um, nobody around. I, when I say New York, I mean like the suburbs of New York City. So it wasn't like in the big city. I had gained all this weight back and I was just so unhappy. Um, and I would only wear like giant button down shirts and sweatpants. So when I got to Pride, it was like a super freeing moment. It was my first experience being in like the gay community in that way. Everybody received me warmly. Um, it was a great experience. It was it was really life-changing, actually, that very first time. That was my introduction to the gay community. And I've always thought that that's why I don't have... I've always thought that because I was introduced in that way, that's why I don't have a lot of these, like, reservations about, can you just be friends with other gay men, da-da-da-da-da. Like, I don't have these kind of negative connotations that certain people that got started in the gay community using meth, for instance, like, have about you know, everybody's just after you for sex. I've always had a really good view of uh, that from that. So yeah, it was a life-changing experience. And then I stayed. And then you talk about um, Adderall use and how initially you used it as kind of a supplement to help you get better grades. I wonder that's, I know that that's a very human thing. I know that I, when I was in college, took Adderall. I know a bunch of my friends did. And it wasn't for the sake of getting messed up. It was like, if I do this, I can stay up later, I can study longer, and I can be more productive. Is that ring true to you at all? Yeah, again, yep, yeah, that's what it was. And it, it really, I wasn't, much of my story comes like from the starting point of being an overweight child. So that, that was that um, beginning of that. And then the grades followed. And I had never done math at all until... And that hadn't even been on my radar as a suburban kid in New York. And then when I came here after getting out of pride and then kind of realized that it was kind of more chronic and pervasive in the 
community here and that it wasn't so strange and that it wasn't like the meth not even once commercials, which really it is, but like it, it didn't feel that way. That was what led me to that. So I actually haven't been to Pride since becoming a meth addict. I became a meth addict after and got sober by having to leave the cities. But yeah, Adderall to study. And that really was my first love after food. Can you talk about your experience growing up and how that might have shaped your use later on? I had a really um, great childhood. I grew up with nice, you know, upper middle class uh, parents in a really wealthy area of uh, New York City, Westchester, it's called. Um, I was always like pretty like flamboyantly gay, but my parents really accepted it and it was never really a problem. I don't know what the the main issue I struggled with as being a child, like being a child was being overweight. And, and that was almost a bigger, I had almost more, I got way more flack for being overweight than I ever did for being gay in high school. There were other gay people in high school, but I was definitely the fattest kid in my whole school. Mm. And my parents were most concerned with that. They They never attempted to make me straight or be anything else. They were just like really worried about my weight. Um, I was obese, but yeah, the childhood was good. It it just, I will say that like, especially towards like, by the time I became a sophomore in high school, it it really did start. I I look back on it now and realize like, that was a time when I really started to do things in inordinately long and difficult, abnormal ways, just in order to not feel uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. So for instance, the clothes wearing, I I would always wear a jacket, um, like a a jacket through the summer, through everything. I didn't want my body to be seen. I would go like to inordinate steps to not have to go to class and then turn it in late and get an excuse and a note. And just, and as the Adderall came up, it was like, well, I can't go out in the sun. I I don't want to walk with everybody else because it just starts to become this whole thing of like, and, and it happened again too later when I became addicted to meth. But it, it, it becomes this whole thing like where you have to curtail and change your life in order to continue to use drugs or do the things. You know, I just never just dove in. I, there was never an easy way for me to just like foresee like, oh, diet and exercise. No, it was like I have to do drugs and then this and this and stay up all night and sleep through the day. And like it, it, that's when I started to realize that it just became a lot. And I also started to realize in high school that I had like this abnormal uh, like way of kind of needing validation from people, even though they were just my friends at the time and, and still are, but like, it just was like, well, why wasn't I there? Why couldn't I be invited? This and this and this. And, and the Adderall, I think only made that more, it, it, it just exacerbated that kind of neurotic behavior, I believe. Yeah. And I mean, what a hard time anyway, to just grow up queer and then have like this added layer on top of it of insecurity for somebody to, I guess, poke and probe at you. Um, What were some, I guess, challenges that was specific to having both feeling like you're overweight and different from everyone else. And then also feeling like you're different from everyone else by being like a gay kid. Oh, oh yeah. There were a lot. Um, Like I said, it, it was a lot of, there were other gay kids in my high school mm-hmm. who were thin and, and they didn't seem to have much of a problem with, you know, 
finding their niche. I mean, would nobody, it was, it, I I'm 28. So it wasn't like at a time where it is now, like my younger brother, who's also gay, he has a, he had a completely normal high school experience, was friends with boys, was friends with girls, this, this, this. I always kind of remember 2010 when I was a sophomore. Um, I think that like, it, and I remember being, cause we were in New York. I remember watching the, the vote of gay marriage get legal in the state of New York. And I was in high school. And at the same time, it was like when the, it gets better campaign came out. So that was sort of like that, that fundamental crossover between like when people would like stop saying the F word in in like their daily language before that it was kind of almost normal so that was i was already in 10th grade by that time so there definitely I'm, I'm digressing there definitely was like an ability for gay kids to fit in but not being a gay overweight drug addict I, i'm not sure what the insecurities were i i almost didn't think i had insecurities about being gay and I remember like when I went to college late, I'm jumping all over the place. I remember when I went to college, like later, I always think, cause I'm a little bit more shy now, I think after like becoming sexually active much later. But when I went to college the first time, like I just remember walking up to everybody, not a care in the world, like, hi, like I'm Miles, nice to meet you. Like just like really introducing myself. And I was like that in high school too. I ne- and that, yeah, I think later, like, I always kind of sometimes like in the back of my vain mind wish that like my parents had maybe put a little more pressure on me. I meet these boys now that are from like the South that are completely straight passing and like have kind of cultivated their entire look to be somebody that they're attracted to. Whereas I never had a care in the world about being femme or whatever, which can sometimes be difficult to be if you can't like pass as straight or whatever. I had a never, never had a difficulty about that. But the, so the insecurity really did come a lot from the weight thing. I suppose when I was like in, I remember being in eighth grade and thinking to myself, like, oh my God, I, I don't want to get older and have to only hang out with gay men. Like, wh- what am I going to do when my girlfriends are at their sleepover parties and the, I'm not friends with the boys? But that passed, obviously. Now all I want to do is be around gay men. Um so I don't know. It was definitely the the weight thing has has been really um, has come up quite a bit in life. I actually think your story is very similar to a lot of people that we hear from on our podcast. But instead of being um, you know picked on because you're queer, you are picked on for a totally different reason, which, like Luke said, adds just a total like another layer to your addiction later on. I was wondering if you could talk about um, how you moved from, you know, being in love with Adderall to finding meth after you went through a program. Um, I always think that's a super interesting journey um, to relapse and then, um, you know, finding your way out on the other side. This isn't to knock the Pride Institute because it obviously changed my life, but I do remember the minute I got there that... um, I was in the room with the, and I had been, I had come from New York. I didn't really have any gay friends. So I thought meth as like the Montana meth commercials, you know? And so I got to pride. I'm sitting in the disinfectant room with another man who was older, really nice yellow sweater, big white teeth. And I, and he was like, so what are, what are you in for? I'm like, Oh, I just, 
you know, a problem child and I'm addicted to Adderall and other things and like cough syrup. And I was like, what are you into for? He smiles with his big white teeth, meth. And I was like, oh, and then through the whole thing and, and throughout, you know, and, and, and then when I left Pride in 2013, I went back in 2014. That was sort of the first go, still no meth. And then, so between 2000, summer of 2013 and, and winter of 2015, I was very much like no meth, an addict, but I had been sober for a year, lived in the, the same sober house actually that I'm in right now when it, when it opened, the very first time when it opened in this very room, um, which I think about sometimes. And um, then had a brief relapse for like one day in 2014, went back to Pride, moved back into the same sober house and then stayed here until I got into the U. So during that whole time, it was very much like I was a virgin. I had like, you know, I, I would go, th- I finally lost weight in a healthy, non-drug addicted way. So, and then that was the last time I had ever been obese in my life was during that time. So when that happened, you know, I was like, I remember all of 2015, I was like, I'm going to have a sexual revolution now. Like I'm amongst, I'm finally in the right place in the right time. I'm finally thin and there are gay people around and I'm free. But okay. So the original question, right. But throughout that whole time, like people would say, oh, if you, throughout that whole time, people would say, oh, if you like Adderall, you better stay away from meth because you will love that. And I thought, and I was like, yeah, for sure, for sure. I could never imagine myself doing that. But somewhere in the back of my little addict mind, there was somebody saying like, you're definitely not done with the speed journey. And as soon as you get a chance for freedom, you will definitely do math. And the day that I got out and moved into my fancy apartment on the, on the U campus that night was the first time I ever did math, December 23rd, 2015. So, yeah. And what was it that made you, I guess, want to dabble in meth after having gone through the treatment experience? I had never hit, I don't, I, I, I look back on it too. Cause I guess I was only 21 then. Like I just didn't have the foresight of like knowing like that this is a really bad idea that like, there is no way forward on drugs. This is gonna be something, you know, just as I have not hit the normal milestones that my peers have by the age of 21, this will continue to, I hadn't hit like a real scary bottom on <laughs> on anything yet. And so I just, I think it was just like, this is, I, I didn't think about it. I, I can't. I can't tell you why, I just did not think about it. I had no real consequences yet. I, I was being financially supported by my parents. I had nothing that like, re- I felt like the youngness would last forever. And so I just, I didn't think about it. Not one bit. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't think about it like at all. You had mentioned also having lost weight and being in now a community of like other queer people, gay men, and this like newfound confidence. Um, do you think that that had anything to do maybe with your use towards like later in your life? Yeah. So the pattern is that, so then after the rehab, I did meth every single day from age 21 to age 25. So that was like the bulk of my drug journey. Um, yeah, I think I did feel like 
you know, I'm, I'm gay and I was overweight in high school. And then I had to go to rehab. Like I have been cheated out of every single milestone. Like it is time for me to be on my own and live on a college campus and, and be normal and, and drink. And, you know, of course that also like in the back of my mind, do math with people at night. And I was going to class for the first two years and I thought I was doing really well only until recently. Like, did I realize that I had to repeat all those classes, but, um, yeah, I just barely made it uh, by each semester. But yeah, I think I felt like this is now going to be the time when I have all the experiences that everybody else had. And you would hear about, I would hear about the crazy, I was a virgin through that whole thing. I would hear about people talking about like the sex here and the sex there, this, 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 this. And I was like, that is so foreign to me. I, I wonder what that would be like. Um. So yeah, I definitely did. I, I felt like I just wasn't mature at the time. And so I just felt like it was time to keep more having more fun. Your journey is so interesting to me because usually when we see people using meth, it's very much tied to sex. I mean, that triggers a dual addiction when you're using meth and having sex on meth. And so for you to not have that experience at all, it really just sounds like you were trying to find like your autonomy, like trying to be your own person. And that just for you included using meth. I did. I just loved that and I loved losing weight and I just loved that feeling it was the only it was meth is the only really drug I I obviously love to drink and do other things like that but it was the only drug that I felt totally like from start to finish I was okay by with being by myself the alcohol would start as relaxing and then I would just need to act out and run down the street and find somebody the weed I would get really you know restless and not want to be alone. But the math was like, I can be alone or with other people and it's totally fine from start to finish. And it wasn't always about the sex. And, and thankfully, um, I mean, obviously I have my fair share of problems with other stuff, but like, I don't have that. I don't have that. Uh, you know, you almost see some of these, um, men that do meth have like almost a fetishization over meth use and then have sex problems later. So I don't have that. I never had that. It was, it was always about like, it was a little bit different. I don't want to say that I'm different than the other meth addicts because I ended up in the same place, but um, it was not explicitly about sex. And then I also never shot up. So for me, sometimes it would be about just ha- having a friend over and just like cutting up t-shirts for hours and just like talking and sing- listening to music. But yeah, the darkness definitely came that everybody else was talking about. It took, I was able to stay afloat for a few years, for like a year and a half kind of not exposed to any any of the truly dark characters and situations that you get into on meth. Um, just because I had one person in particular who I was seeing and and we would just be together all the time. Um, but when that ended, it, the darkness of the whole thing really set in. And that also happened to end at the exact time I was asked to leave the school. Um, but for the first year and a half, like it was not too bad. It, it was... I, I was definitely unhappy all the time, but it wasn't um, like dark situations or anything like that. And what was it for you that stuck in your next experience of treatment of like, now I am going to be sober and lead a new life? So then I got sober again in 2019 and I've been sober since then, except for one slip in the summer of 2021. Um, so it's really been about three years of work towards the new life. 
Um, it really was just, you know, having nobody at the end. My parents finally said enough. And I, I didn't even, I honestly don't, I don't know what it would have been like if I had gone back to pride, um, for, to get sober this time, probably good, but I needed a break from the cities. And by the time I finished, I didn't even have the wherewithal to, I didn't have the wherewithal to figure out a bus pass or anything like that. Like I I definitely didn't have the wherewithal to get myself into pride, even with somebody's help or like the amazing system here. So I, I just had to call my parents and thank, thankfully they support me and they came and picked me up. Um, I just was at the absolute bottom and I had no relationship with my family at that time. Um, and so I think it was good for me to go home and live with them for like six months before I came back here and moved back into the sober house. It just was like, there was no way forward. There was nothing about it that was fun anymore. I'd met everybody. It had been four years. It, it was like, it, it went from like, sometimes okay to really kind of struggling all the time, like all the time. Um, and things just kept getting more and more messed up. Things get, I, I kept embarrassing myself on the internet in particular. I remember I felt like, yeah. And then once you get some time away, it's like, I always say like the enormity of it all sets in. And by that, I mean, like you start to realize like after the initial, like, I just have to get sober. I have to get sober. The, the enormity of like, oh, okay. So now I'm six months sober and every day isn't super a huge struggle, but I also don't have a credit score. I have, I'm in such bad standing with the school. I don't know where I'll ever be able to go back. I have, you know, no driver's license or like all these things, no LinkedIn account, like just all these things that you just miss out. And then, so you really just don't want to live that way again. You, once you get going, it, it's, it's a lot, it starts to feel good to succeed in a normal way. Um, not normal, but like in a societally appropriate, like milestones way. Another thing was like, I, when I finally went home and saw that, you know, cause it always just felt like the money just came from somewhere, like some magical machine or whatever. And I didn't have to talk to my parents cause I didn't care. They were under so much stress because of all the, all the things that had happened. They like, it was a nightmare and I just felt so bad. I thought, you know, I'm like, I have older parents as it is. I don't want to do that to my parents anymore. Like I just, yeah, I, I was just completely done with it. So I don't know. And then the people had become the, the people, like as I had like moved further into the world, like the people, you know, you kind of shift your paradigm from like, I can hang out with like regular people sometimes and like just hide it and they won't have to know. And we can just drink together to like everybody, everywhere, you knows go knows that you are on drugs and wants to stay away from you. And you only can be around people that are as bad as you. So it wasn't fun anymore. What are some tips and tricks that you have, uh, that you use yourself to maintain sobriety today? This is almost controversial what I say, what I'm about to say, because some people get really offended by it. But what I've found is for the first six to eight months, learn how to sit and watch TV. That is what has worked for me. Just like sitting and watching TV and eating like ice cream on those days, because a lot of people will want to come back and just not the first six to eight months. It's all about time going by. 
you can't just jump back in and be like, ah, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. Like, where am I going to go? It's 10 o'clock. What am I going to do? Like, I have to go here, 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 here. No, you just have to let the days go by because you're not yourself. You have had no time to build up this robust life around you. You just have to learn how to sit with it every single day and like every single, and then just really convince yourself, no matter what standards you had held yourself to previously, that sitting in a house and doing nothing all day is as long as you're sober is like another day forward. And then my other thing is like, and I'm such a big believer in this just because sober living has worked so well for me is like, no matter what happens or how much you dislike the people in your sober house or how much everybody's criticizing you for leaving the bathroom door open or this and this and this, and you hate going to group every day, as long as you just stay another day in the sober house, like things start to fall into place like like you'd never even expect even when it feels far 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 away one day you'll have a cup of coffee and be like today is you know 10 months in and be like i'm just going to contact i'm just going to call the school and see where i stand and what i would need to do to get back in and and it just happens just like that and the next thing you know all you have to do is write a letter and you can go back in six months and you know one day you you are sober and you're talking to like your aunt and uncle and they are so proud of you. And then they realize that, Oh, they have a car that they don't need. And you know, these things, they just fall into place even when they feel like they're far, far away. As long as you just stay in the house another day and not break any of the golden rules, like it, it just time goes by and this life gets built up around you. Something tells me you have a car and that you're back in school? Yeah. <laughs> Yay, congrats. So yeah, I got a car, I got back in school, credit cards. Um, I call my mom every day. We're best friends. I'm, you know, I still like the the original, I still struggle. Like I, I have some something, like some kind of like body dysmorphia about my face or something, just because I lost and gained so much weight that like, I can tell I have extra skin on my body at this point, but that's just something I have to live with. It could be a lot worse. And I don't necessarily have to live with it. Um, like there's always like filler or whatever, but, but that's okay. Like I, uh, yeah, everything worked out for me really, really well. I have a car, I have a job. I, I always, when I was on drugs, really wanted, I, I would always be so upset and jealous about all the people that were like, oh, I'm a waiter. I'm a server. Like we get so much money. And then like trying to get sober, like there was nowhere to get in. I had to be a host for the longest time. And then all of a sudden, like I have a job at Ola Arepa as a server. I love Ola Arepa. The people are the best. The money is so good. I only have to work 15 hours a week. And it was like, you just, it, Last thing I'll say is like, whereas on drugs and alcohol, you go to such great lengths to miss a deadline, schedule the appointment online, go two weeks later and hopefully like get your papers approved. This is this on like, what you really need to do is just dive right. Like dive in and just try to do it the normal way. Like if you think you can't, like you can you just like put on, I was afraid, you know, like I said, I had this clothing anxiety about my body or whatever. Like one day you just find like a black undershirt that works for you and you just go to the job and, and you put on whatever outfit they have for you there and you don't care. And you just do it the same way that everybody else does. And it's normal and it's fine and it all ends up being okay. 
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices. You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. We'll see you next time.